Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 95 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for discovering us. Well, on this episode, film and culture critic Mike Sargent, good friend of mine, joins me to discuss two recent movie releases, which either you've already seen or will soon see, that affected me in very different ways. Venom and A Star Is Born, one I loved and one I hated. You take a guess at which one's which. But before we dive right in, let's begin with the most highly relevant news and entertainment. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Michael Pena will star in the film adaptation of Fantasy Island. A Star is Born actor Anthony Ramos will star in the movie adaptation of In the Heights from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Ryan Coogler will return to direct Black Panther 2 for Marvel. And Scarlett Johansson will get paid $15 million by Marvel to do a Black Widow movie. In TV news, Alec Baldwin's new show, The Alec Baldwin Show, premiered this week on ABC. Catch it on demand. Netflix canceled Marvel's Iron Fist after two seasons. Kevin Hart will be creating content for Nickelodeon. Hulu will have a drama drama done by hip-hop legend Wu-Tang Clan. Issa Rae will star in American Princess, and according to a recent study, there are more diverse TV directors than ever. Switching over to music, Grammy nominations will be announced December 5th. Bad Bunny and Drake's M.I.A. is the first Spanish track to hit number one on Apple Music's U.S. Top Songs chart. The ratings for the American Music Awards was down 28%. J Balvin and Cardi B will perform at this year's Dominican Republic's Electric Paradise Beach Festival, and Usher has dropped a new trap album called A, and fans are not happy. And in digital and social media news, Facebook joins Amazon, Apple, and Google with its own video in-home device called Portal. Google is shutting down Google Plus after user data exposed, and Twitter has announced that moving forward, every emoji will be counted as the same number of characters toward your tweet's 280 character count. And joining me now is Mike Sargent. You can hear him on WBAI here in New York, and you can see him on TV at Fox Business News as well as PBS. Mike Sargent, I've been wanting to talk to you for quite yes, some time. How you doing, my man? I'm all right, man. How are you? Uh, well, having problems with this Venom movie, and let's let's get right into Venom. Um, so this was a movie, and let me just kind of just set everything up for everyone. So Sony, back in 2015, was probably losing the rights to Spider-Man. And uh, Marvel, which has been so successful, knows and understands that Spider-Man is part of the core fabric of their brand, of their company, and of their history. They're really not Marvel if Spider-Man's not involved. And so they've been talking to Sony for so long about getting those rights back because let's remember what Marvel used to do, what the business of Marvel was, was licensing a lot of these characters to movie studios and they would get a nice you know, fee until they started doing Marvel Studios. And then they kind of wanted it back, but Sony didn't want it. And so what they did is they created these two Andrew, uh, what's his name? Garfield. Uh, Andrew Garfield 
started doing these remakes that was very soon. Uh, and then when that kind of failed, and I wouldn't say fail, it wasn't a disaster, but it just didn't make enough money for them to say, okay, we got a winner here. Uh, that's when Marvel stepped in and they came up with this interesting negotiation where they decided to kind of say, all right, Tony, look, don't give me the rights. You don't want to give me the rights, obviously, but why don't you allow me to have creative control of the character? And one of the things that we want to be able to do as a part of this agreement is we want to be able to use him for four or five movies, okay? When we squeeze him into Avengers, we do the homecoming and maybe a sequel, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where Tom Holland came in. So the deal set right now is that Marvel has creative control of the Spider-Man character and is allowed to use it within their Marvel Studio movies while Sony funds it and distributes the film. And um, so far, so good. And then the reason they're doing Venom is because they still want to maintain the rights. That's why we're seeing this Venom. But Marvel's really... At the beginning of the film, it says it's in association association with Marvel. But I don't really think that there is any creative control there from Marvel because the movie sucks it is one of the worst superhero films of all time and i am including punisher warzone which i happen to think is the absolute worst one that has ever been made spawn and put batman and robin with schwarzenegger's mr freeze in there as some of the worst examples of superhero films ever put to film and i believe that venom is not just one of them, it's probably top two, top three, Mike. Well, what did you really think of the film? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. I I felt similar to you. Uh, I I felt that, okay, first let me also say that Sony had been developing Venom since Spider-Man 3 with the original Spider-Man where Topher Grace played Venom. And and like you said- I actually like that one even better. And that was pretty bad. But but like you said, through through various iterations and their deal, you know, when I went to see it, and I think you were at the same screening, when it said in association with everybody, everybody laughed. laughed. Everybody laughed because they already knew. And now let me also say this for myself to set things up. You know, I really liked Ruben Fleischer. I really loved Zombieland. I, I thought uh I thought 30 minutes was a little bit underrated. I thought that was pretty good. I thought too. that was pretty good too, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I thought it was really going to be like the next, you know, uh, you know, 48 hours or something, but I did, I did, I do like him. I do like his sensibilities, but what I sensed here was, you know, I kind of, I wonder what solo would have been like if they had let the two guys who were originally directing it continue, because, you know, this feels like, uh, it was written by, with one tone, uh, the whole first hour of the movie was really the setup for us to get to the main conceit. A guy is semi-possessed by an alien being that he has conversations with. And that's kind of a funny setup. And and I can see where they're going and they left but it open for This wasn't supposed to be funny, Mike. Well, that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm saying. Ruben Fleischer makes funny films. Funny okay? horror films. 
funny funny horror films he does and and i like his sensibilities but it seemed mismatched with the script exactly. the script has all these things happening so i felt that that for me was the conflict uh, jeff pinker scott rosenberg kelly marcel i don't know what they did and, and i know pinker and rosenberg wrote the story but it, it for what ruben fleischer does it didn't work and it was so like ridiculously uneven that it, it's almost as if Fleischer said, this is never going to work. So let's just balls out, be absolutely ridiculous. Now I heard some people walking out of the theater wow. saying, saying they loved it. It's the best superhero movie they've ever seen. Okay. And, and what's interesting about that is what makes Venom, why I don't think Venom's going to completely bomb, though critics clearly will trash it's it. It's already made is, $80 million at the box that's office. That's right. And I'll tell you why. Because it's so different, it's so bizarre, it's so uneven that, you know, you, you, you know, you do laugh. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just, it's a ludicrous film. Here's the, here's the thing, man. This movie is borderline cult classic now. Mm-hmm. Where it is so because bad. it's so off the wall, right? Because it's so off the wall and so terrible f- in in every single category. I mean, this is embarrassing for Michelle Williams. I don't know how Michelle Williams can look at herself in the mirror after winning an Oscar and doing this garbage of a movie. Let okay, me explain. Listen. Okay, I was just going to say, just look at the spirit and look at the talent there, and tell me Scarlett Johansson was able to back back from that. I mean, I, I'm. I'm, I was aghast that Riza Med, who did the night of on HBO, which oh, is one yeah. of the best TV shows I've seen oh, in yeah. years. So let me explain to people exactly what what you can expect from Venom when you walk into the theater, okay? Because I think that there's too many opposite uh, points of views of what this movie exactly is. Venom is a slapstick, campy comedy that's sprayed with some action. The problems with it is, is that no one was expecting that to be like that. They were expecting sort of a horror Spider-Man mixed in with a rated R heaviness um, that they toyed with. I mean, they curse. There's some moments where Venom eats people's heads, which is not frightening at all, but maybe it's frightening for a seven-year-old. The writing is lackluster. This is the problem with the film. The The writing is uneven. It's lackluster. Nothing jumps. I had thoughts of walking out at one point because I thought it was so bad. I went, the, the, the person that I went with was a guy that's written and uh, that's drawn so many Marvel covers, including Spider-Man. And I was just looking at him and go, how is Marvel even in association with them? Um, and Tom Hardy can't do any comedy. I just think that the dude is not a comedian. I think everything he tried to portray was him completely off-branded. I just felt like it wasn't working. He has to stop mumbling. It's become a part of his brand. We saw this with Bane, and it was the Bane of my existence in The Dark Knight Returns. I don't know how anybody liked that. Um, He has the bizarre facial tics. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, This is a movie better enjoyed high on life. And for me, the movie needed to be darker, ah. scarier, and, and and somewhat of a horror film. 
Well, you know, let me let me say a couple things here. I want to com- comment on a couple things you said. Like, first of all, let me just talk about Tom Hardy. You know, Tom Hardy, um, it's interesting. Tom Hardy's had an interesting career. He's done some interesting work. But he, he does have these fallback things where he, he does this sort of generic New York accent. And it's interesting because for a while he has no accent. Then every now and then he slips back into like this weird accent that he that he really well, did well. He talks like this. What yeah, are you he, talking about, man? Well, yeah, yeah. Do you remember how uh, the character he played? He did this well in Warrior. He played Tommy Conlon, probably yep. one of his best performances. It he was, was like a, a br- this brooding character, right, right, right. And and in this, what I felt, what this reminded me of is. Um, What's his name's performance in Superman? Uh, uh, that Lex Luthor, who played Lex Luthor in the Superman movie? Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg's performance in Superman versus Batman, where he didn't really have a take on the character, and he just did a whole bunch of Jesse Eisenberg isms, you know, and, and it was just a, a, a performance that was full of little ticks. You never get a sense of this character, and I felt. The same way with this, and I almost felt, and it's funny, as you said it, I think Ruben Fleischer knew that he had kind of a dud script, and he did everything he could, because the best things in this film are because of the director, because of how the action is, because of how the effects are, because of how the setup, it's really, it's it's a bizarre, like, you know, why is he talking to himself? Where's his humor? Why does an uh, alien have a sense of humor? It, you know, there's so many things about it that you just. So it, many things ask, out of left field that don't have a rhyme right, or reason of right. why and they're the, there. There's no context to it. Well, that's, that's when you get like multiple people work on multiple drafts of a script. And, and, and at some point, you know, it's arbitrated who gets credit, whatever, whatever. I feel like. Fleischer got got saddled with this. He's he's you know it's a big shot for him. Lots of money behind it, and he took it as far as he could. And the the uneven weird tone is really what makes people go see it. As a matter of fact, people will listen to this and go, "How bad could it be? The commercial looks great. The effects look good. I like Tom Hardy. Uh, I mean, Venom's a badass character. That's I think there's that 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 rubbernecking quality." of seeing uh, 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 what you've heard is a car crash on the big screen and then finding out like, oh, it's not that bad. I, I laugh. And I think that that's why the movie's making so much money. I think one of the most jarring things that you can expect of Venom if you go see this film is the horror creature. It's Venom itself, how it starts cracking these childlike moronic that's jokes. Thing. Where does an alien get a sense of humor? Exactly. And I think, unfortunately, because the character of Venom is so scary, that the contrast of the childlike, you know, comedy, the one-liners that never made any sense. Remember that moment where Tom Hardy walks into the restaurant and then he gets into the aquarium and then he eats? None of that made sense. And the fact that he was having this Jekyll and Hyde moment where the voice, you wouldn't see Venom, but you'd hear the voice, and you kept on thinking this was an SNL skit. This was something out of like a Nickelodeon TV show where they were doing a Venom skit or something. And unfortunately, when you have a horror figure that's that dumb and that absurdly dumb, it kills any tension whatsoever when he has to fate the villain 
But let me let me just say this, okay? You know, Venom is an anti-hero, and that that that's ridiculous humor played by by the anti-hero who's really a villain but kind of an anti-hero was really done successfully for a long time with Freddy. And in a way, it's sort of like what if you got a a, a, a nondescript but guy But Freddy who, was in but Freddy was in a CGI. Freddy was a, no, like Freddy, a real human Freddy being, so maybe if you had a real person doing the I don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's sort of like, what if Freddie possessed somebody and somebody was being possessed by Freddie and you were having to talk to Freddie? That's what he's like. He's got a personality of Freddie Krueger. Okay. But he's, mm. but he's got, he's an alien who bites people's heads off. That That's kind of how I see it. And, and like you said, you know, uh, the whole idea of you're talking to this, um, let's just say sarcastic, uh, sophomoric alien in your head and it's making you do things is is something that you come up with when you're high on life like you said right and uh Ryan Tomatoes has it about 30% uh I think it's in that range uh 80% of the people of the audience liked it but that's my point no nope, this critics is, this hated is, it but let me just say this about critics okay critics you could break them up into at least three groups but a large bulk of today's critics are fanboys Okay, yeah, they're on. Right. They, they, that's what they are, and so when they don't see something that that has the aesthetics that have been established by the MCU, they're going to come up against it. Okay, that's what DC is fighting. Not that the DC movies are great, but they're fighting like what's been set. You know, so if 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 superhero movies are set to be a certain thing, okay, and if if you're lucky, you might be able to get hip and be a Deadpool. Okay, but you're still appealing to that fanboy uh, uh, mentality. Right. This this breaks the fanboy mentality. Goes someplace else. It's sort of an it's an anti-hero that ends up being an almost an anti-superhero movie. Not because of the the hero and the character, but because the tone is so like WTF. Let's move on over to A Star is Born. Uh, you and I had a chance to see this. Movie already came out, made $40 million at the box office opening weekend. That's a lot more than what a lot of people uh, have, uh, have. That's only half Venom, though. That's half Venom. But by the way, it's not a superhero CGI movie. This is straight up a cinematic movie. And it's one of the best movies I've seen all year, if not the best movie I've seen all year. A lot of people are calling it the front runner for best picture at the Oscars in 2019. Uh, I can't really uh, challenge that. I, I think they're on the money. And I kind of wanted your take on what you thought of the film. And do you think it is the best movie of the year? Well, first, let me say this. I never saw any of the other versions of A Star is Born. But I, I understand the story. Uh, I understand... Um, the, the, the mythology, I understand what it's about. I get it. Um, uh, I thought, you know, calling it best movie of the year, best movie to be, eh, you know, I feel it's way too early to start calling those things. There's too many good movies that are supposed to be coming to, to really say that. And uh, I, I thought Lady Gaga was really good. I think she gives a very believable down-to-earth performance. Uh, I thought Bradley Cooper you know, okay, he was kind of, it took me a minute to realize that he was doing uh, um, uh, Sam Elliott from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, 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 and I thought it was a little too on the nose because, you know, 
we may people may or may not know Bradley Cooper has a real gift for mimicry. It's some of the things that he does, and 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 doing character voices. And I felt it was a little bit of a character voice for me. I felt he he looked like Christopherson and sounded like Sam Elliott. So it took and you then, out of the movie. It 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 just it was a little on the nose for me. I I kept wondering. It was a distraction. Okay, as opposed to like me buying into the performance for me. Now, in terms of the emotion and 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 the engagement and loving these characters, I, I guess I didn't fall in love with these characters uh, uh, like everybody else did. So I was not as emotionally moved as everyone. That being said, there are a lot of things to like about this movie. You know, the performances, the the singing, the songs, the 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 little moments, the direction. I have to say, Bradley Cooper, it, it, to me now, is following the footsteps of a a Clint Eastwood. Uh, ben Affleck, a uh, Kevin Costner, right. yes. uh, Denzel Washington—these actors who really are storytellers and know how to tell a story, and 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 can do it even if they're at the center of it. You know, absolutely. And this and this is a movie about alcoholism. It's a movie about family dysfunction. It's a movie about old generations versus new generations. And it's interesting. Somebody brought up in an article um, that I was reading about the film about how this could be male versus female. And it's interesting because I didn't necessarily fall upon that, how as a man, I need to be the star and I can't allow you, the woman, to be the star. And how does this movie fit into the Me Too Time's Up movement? There's no sexual harassment here or anything, but it's really more about male domination and, uh, and being hurt that a woman's taking your limelight. But I didn't think that this film in particular... Uh, positioned those two genders together to fight. You know, I think that that's what differentiates this slightly from the previous versions where that might've been the case, right? Uh, I, I didn't feel that the, gen I think, okay, one, this is a love story. And as a love story, cliche as it sounds, that kind of makes it a chick flick. Okay. But what else it is also is, you know, traditionally, you know, we see the man behind the woman, you know, making her the star maker. And he's not so much a star maker. She's a star who's born. He sees in her what he has lost in himself. And that's really, and, and she helps him find, she, he helps her find herself. And I thought that was a little heavy handed too. Uh, her, him saying, yeah, you gotta be yourself, be yourself. That was a little heavy handed. But I, I thought that, you know, the, the, how they pass and what they give to each other, I thought was strong, but I didn't think it had so much to do with gender. I think the gender roles sort of are a given. I mean, you know, they, they, they touch upon the idea of her, her having an image and having backup dancers and being the sexy girl and wearing makeup now because she didn't wear makeup in the beginning. And, and I, and I get, but I thought that was more about image mm -hmm. as a, as opposed to being objectified. I thought they strayed away from that uh, purposely because that's not what the movie's about. You know, there have been other movies that have done that really well. What do you think uh, the I, movie's really about? I think the movie's really about, um, um, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, you can feed your, your, your passions. Okay. You can feed your ego, but what feeds your soul? And what I thought the movie was really about was, you know, he was telling her to be true to herself and her music and everything, but he wasn't being true to who he was. He wasn't owning his own stuff. He was, he was medicating. He was drinking. He was, he was falling into a pit. 
Okay. And, and unfortunately, I don't think because it's, and not because this is the fourth time telling this story. I, I think that ultimately the, the, the filmmaking here is stronger than the actual story in the message. I think the story in the message is bordering on cliche. Okay. But I think that, that it's so well done that you know like avatar where it's a fairly simple story we've seen the story a million times it's a it's a simple story well told that's, yeah that's my- yeah a uh, couple of things that that made me really love this movie is number one i had no idea that lady gaga was loved so much by the cameraman i mean yeah. she's beautiful she's talented but she's magnetic there was almost something hypnotic about her eyes, and I just could not, I, I could not detach myself from looking at her deep inside her soul. She had this character nailed down so perfectly, and I thought that Bradley Cooper was unbelievable here. He was also magnetic, and when you had these two magnetic characters together, the the chemistry was off the charts. You felt that he was awestruck by her talent and just awestruck by her beauty and and her authenticity and her authenticity of playing this character was kind of like the the character she was kind of born to play and so um, I agree with you and so you you add the music the soundtrack which she mostly wrote from what I understand uh, that really gave the movie this sort of gravitas. Uh, this gravitas and, and this yes. depth that really sucked you into the story. Uh, it was beautifully shot, great premise, um, yes. and it really felt contemporary and it really felt like almost the ending of an era for a particular type of musical genre, which is that singer-songwriter genre. And... I thought it was a musical genre that was on its last embers. The singer-songwriter folk hero, the Bob Dylan-like, you know, sort of uh, performer um, that audience is aging and is no more, no longer radio-friendly, can't reach top 40. And yeah, there is a bit of sense of that your mortality is on the line, you know, because once your career is over with, Many say that they feel that there's no purpose in their life anymore. That's who they were. Their job was their everything. And I think he was trying to ignore that his musical time had passed him, that there was a new sort of musical uh, era that had begun without him and that didn't need him. We saw a lot of indications um, of, I think it was the Grammys, where he was supposed to sing, be the lead singer, but then he became the backup guitarist. Um, moments where he interrupted Lady Gaga's uh, award win. I mean, that's one of the, probably the big pivotal moments in all four versions is when he interrupts her at her peak moment where she's arrived and he has to be uh, a part of it. And I think that's what led him to the climactic scene, you know, towards the end. Um, so I totally gathered a lot of those things and th- they were done so well um, that... It really let my wife who went with me, she was crying. I felt completely entrapped by the emotions and and how visceral the movie was. And when you combine everything else with it, I 
I do think that A Star is Born is probably the best movie of the year right now. Well, I think, you know, again, I think there are a lot of great things about it. You know, you, you mentioned the, the the cinematography, Matthew Libatique, who's done another big movie this year as well. But I, I think that, you know, um, it does set a tone. You know, you mentioned the idea of a bygone era. I, I did think, you know, you asked before about the the gender politics. I think by him not being that much older than her, which would have made this a different kind of movie too. Right. You know, he's only a little bit older than her. You know, he's yeah, got this maybe isn't 10- Sinatra and Mia Farrow. Right, right. So yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's that, but there's also, you know, something that I think is very important you, you touched upon, you know, and that I think is a theme of the movie is relevance. You know, when you're an artist, how do you stay relevant? You know, you, you're, you're starving, you're, you're, you're coming on your way up and, you, and you've got this to say, that to say. How do you stay relevant if you're a Paul McCartney or if you're a, 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 a you know, a, you know, any, any number of artists who at when they come out, you know, they, they have Tracy Chapman. She had all this stuff to sing about. But when you're not, you know, you're not suffering under the the, the things that you used to. Or or the, the environment that allows you to say what you need to say Ex- when that environment well, ceases to exist. Exactly. Exactly. It, or, you know, that environment could just be your life, the pain you're going through, the, the heartache, what you see, the being amongst the, the, you know, the common person. Once you're out of that, how, how do you stay relevant? And do you realize you've lost your relevance. And on top of that too, you know, at what point in life are you going through the motions? And I think that that's what he was doing. You know, he was going through the motions. I mean, he, you know, he even had a happy Hogan as a, as a, as a driver there, you know, they had uh, Greg uh, Grunberg was sort of happy Hogan. Um, hey, what you, <laughs> hey, what'd you think about Andrew Dice Clay? Andrew Dice Clay was brilliant. I thought he I thought was, he was really good, right? He was he was great. He was perfect. And he beat out like De Niro and somebody else for that role. I'm shocked of that. I mean, if if De Niro wanted that job, I'm I'm shocked that Bradley didn't give it to him. Well, you know, I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a plum role in in like what you said, an Oscar contending film. You know, uh, Bradley Cooper's as hot as can be right now. Lady Gaga's as hot as can be right now. She's about you to know, become an is, EGOT, yeah. Yeah, these 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 are the A list. This is as big as it gets in Hollywood. And to want to do something like this, everybody wants to be involved. You know, you, people will do a walk on in a film like this. Absolutely. And one thing that I I felt that I could add to what you're saying about you know um, uh, sort of this world kind of just passing through him is that a lot of these artists that can't stay relevant, it's because they're not open minded. They're stubborn. They feel well, that the world, true, that world needs them more than they need the world, you know. And, and, well, and go ahead. No, no, I'm saying, and you hit that on the head. What and you put it actually better. They lose perspective. Right. They lose full perspective, perspective. of perspective. how they fit into this new world, into this timing where they're living. And, right, and they lose perspective on the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. And 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 he was fucking stubborn. Let's just be honest about it. He didn't want to embrace the new music. He didn't want to collaborate uh, with new musicians. He resented uh, new producers and the, and the sound and the marketing behind it. There was a moment where he sees Lady Gaga's face and it's just like, ah, eh, constantly rolling his eyes and just making jabs and comments, not at her, but at the machine that he disagrees with. 
and that things should be pure and that we should just write songs from the heart and yeah, just me and a guitar and a, you know, and a beer. It's just very country. You know, there's, there's that countryness that he just didn't want it to ever die, but yet look at him. He was a mess. So when you go watch this movie, yes, you're watching the story of a man uh, who meets this beautiful woman and how there's this great chemistry between two musicians but there's so many great subtexts and layers and dimensions to this movie on so many levels that you will feel that you saw a cinematic work of art. And it's one of the great movies of this year, if not the best movie of 2018 for me, Mike. The other wonderful thing I think about the movie and her picking this to be her first, you know, real you know, coming out because her I think leading she role, did, her first leading, her role. leading role, leading role in the most. I mean, she's, I think she was an American horror story on TV, so on TV. Uh, but you know, look, get you know, getting her chops. But what the thing is, Lady Gaga is always facade. She, she, she's always. You, you have. I really had no idea what Lady Gaga really looked, looked like. like. Until this movie. And I think that it was that, refreshing to see, man. It was refreshing to see. It was refreshing to see, especially how her character goes for transformation, especially how her character, in contrast to perhaps Lady Gaga, like, you know, just thinking about her name, uh, uh, she's playing the opposite of what she is. And she's so believable. You realize how much Lady Gaga is a creation of this artist. Who mm-hmm. is Lady Gaga? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's like she's the artist formerly known as Lady Gaga. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> so I thought that that was, that was that. I think that's part of the appeal of this movie too, is seeing, like you said, you, you're transfixed because you keep looking at her and going, "Wow, that's Lady Gaga." Wow, but but you know, you, you you're just she's so watchable. Absolutely, and uh, I'm I'm here. Here's my prediction: best picture nominee, best actor nominee. Best Actress best. nominee, Best, best director, director nominee, Best Script uh, or Adapted Screenplay nominee, um, Best, best Soundtrack, Best Cinematography, Best Music, Best Score. Uh, I, pre- I predict 11 noms. 11 noms, at least. At least. Uh, there's no way. And and there is the possibility, because I had spoken to Clayton Davis from AwardCircuit.com at one point, and he thinks... That this could be the first movie in I don't know how many years, uh, how many decades that could win Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Director all in one night. Well, it could, but you know what else makes this movie so smart in so many ways? Uh, it it only costs forty million dollars. Well, that's how much it made at the box office. It, that's my point. Well, that, and that's just American. It, domestic, it's made. I mean, international, it's already made sixty-five. But the point I'm making is it, it it didn't cost anything to do. It's like it's just movie making. It's two actors, stage, some, you know, that's it. Like it's what movies should be about. The people, the characters, the milieu. It didn't need 200 million. Mike Sargent, you can hear on WBAI, Fox Business News and PBS. Mike, thank you so much for being on the podcast, my brother. Thank you, dude. That's it for episode 95 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Mike Sargent for coming on the show, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by sharing us on social media and telling all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and on Twitter at Jack Rico Official. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.